0: Hello and welcome to the Fresh Minds podcast with me, Anna Veal, where I talk to ordinary people doing extraordinary things to make their lives magnificent. In this season, I bring you 10 very special guests, each of whom carry messages that will change your perspective on life. You'll hear how the little things make the biggest impacts, how routine and consistency trump the boom-bust cycle, how adversity makes us stronger, and that beer isn't the devil, and much, much more. Thanks for spending some time with me today to listen to these ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. I hope you enjoy their conversations as much as I did. This podcast is sponsored by the Spartan Habit Changer series, an online program exclusively for busy men who need to be reminded to dial down and look after their mental and physical well-being in order to perform at their best. For more information on this program and how I can help you more, visit www.freshcoaching.me. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm very excited to have um, ex-Arsenal legend, Nigel Winterburn, to the podcast today. Um, Nigel's a 1990s football legend who played for many clubs, including Arsenal and West Ham. He represented his country, England, and is a formidable defender who was arguably one of the best left-backs in the league. With a cabinet full of trophies, including two FA Cup wins, three titles, a League Cup and a European Winners' Cup, he certainly has a few stories up his sleeve. Um, It's truly great to have you here, Nigel, Um, and having grown up in an Arsenal household, um, it's a real treat for me and the family to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time
1: to come on. No, it's not a problem. Thank you for inviting me on. I'm uh, looking forward to the uh, questions you're going to ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: this podcast is aimed at um, guys who are busy doing their thing and want to um, make the most of their one life. So, You had a playing career that lasted over 20 years. How did you transition from playing for fun with your mates into making it a full-time career?
1: Um, Well, it came about by chance, really. Um, Like, I suppose, most kids, um, I watched professional football, but my real passion was playing football, like, like most people. Did I ever think that i was going to be a professional footballer no i don't think i no i don't think i did did i imagine that i was one of them when i was playing out in the park or kicking the ball against the wall yes i did at that time leeds although i'm a midlands boy so coventry uh, aston villa west brom would be the teams you would think i would choose i chose leeds probably in the 70s because they were successful so I always used to dream that I was one of those players when I, when I used to play. But as I just said, I, I, I didn't ever think I was going to become a professional player. In fact, I was playing with my local village team, men's team, um, just before I was leaving school. I used to play for my school team. And then I used to play for what was classed then as like the schools, which was a combination of all the schools in that area. And just one day we was, uh, I was playing for the Neaton schools and after the game, a chief scout from Don Dorman, who was chief scout of Birmingham City, came up to me after and asked if my parents were here watching the game. And I said, yes, my mum and dad were with me. He said, could we please go and speak to them? Uh, and I, and uh, he just came over to my mum and dad and said, like, we've been watching Nigel play for a little while. Um, would you uh, consider him coming for a trial? Uh, for Birmingham City. So that was obviously a yes. So I went, I did two trials with them. Literally they had about 26, 27 boys of the same age. So I was just just before uh leaving school. So just uh, 16. And I went and did two trials with them. And after the second trial, they offered me what was then was considered to be well an apprenticeship. Uh, if you like. Amazing. So um, instead of looking for what was classed as a normal job uh, when I was just about to leave school, which I'd already was doing, I'd already been to interviews. I'd actually been to an interview for Jaguar Cars. i actually amazing. been for other interviews. Uh, and then he offered me this contract for a two-year contract. So it was like, yes, I'll take that. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it, in a way, It was a little bit by chance. I know now there are a lot of academies, the kids get taken from five or six, but that was never an option um, from when, you know, from my era, really. Um, So I suppose in a way, I was a little bit bit lucky that Chief Scout was there watching at the right time. Um, And then I just managed to put in two good enough performances in those trials um, to get that two-year contract. So yeah it was just by chance and that was if you like the first tentative steps uh, if you like to becoming a professional footballer but it's still such a long long way to go uh, being an apprentice at what well, you know 16 17 um, to actually the career that um, that I finished up having you know I never ever dreamed having the career that I did and, and playing for the for the clubs that I did
0: yeah, and so how did that evolve then, from going to being scouted as a young sixteen-year-old to having Arsenal knocking on your door?
1: Well, uh, well, we probably you probably pick up from some of my where you talk about motivational things. So uh, my first year at Birmingham, Jim Smith was the manager, first team manager, but obviously I was with the youth, what was then called Prentice Youth Youth Team. After first year, it gone really well. I was getting some big, big uh, re, uh, reviews. Um, Not only from uh, the club themselves, but some of the um, uh, sports papers that were around. uh, And a lot of the senior players in the Birmingham team in the interviews that that they were doing were saying that I was one of the players to watch for the future. Uh, And at the end of that first year, I signed professional forms for. So I went on to a pro contract from an apprentice contract The start of that. Second season, uh, I got selected to play for the first team for Birmingham. But unfortunately for me, is it was an away game at Brighton. And when we travelled to the game, uh, Jim Smith, who was the manager, decided that maybe it was a little bit too soon. And he put a more experienced player into my position left back. So I was actually sub for the game, but still for the first team. So it was still a major uh, yeah. achievement for me. But shortly after that, Jim Smith got the sack. Ron Saunders came in as the first team manager. And literally within about three months, he called 12, 13 of us into his office and basically just said, you're not good enough. Uh, We're going to be letting you go at the end of the season. So from one moment of being, everything is going smooth, you're getting rave reviews, to almost four months later. See you later. At the, end of the, at the end of this season, that's it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Um, so, I obviously, I saw that that contract out at Birmingham. And then at that period in time, if, when you got released at a professional club, they released your name out to the, what they classed as the Football League. It was just basically almost like a, an email, really. Uh, but I decided that, well, one, you can sit around and wait for someone to call you up, which might never happen. Or two, I've got to be proactive. And that's exactly what I did is Jim Smith, who was my manager at Birmingham and then gone to Oxford. So I called him up and said, I've just been released by Birmingham. Can I come and just train with you? That's all I need to do for the following season. I need to do some training. I need to try and find a new club. And he was fantastic with me. So um, I went for the following season. I went for tre- pre-season training with them. He just called me in and just said, I tell you now, we give you a six month contract, but just keep, you know, just keep, just keep training. Uh, And then um, I was about three weeks into that and he said, oh, Wimbledon, uh, Dave Bassett is a good friend of mine. They're looking for a left back. (laughs) So he said to me, you've got six month contract here. Uh, We've got a lot of experienced players, so I'm not sure how much game time you would get. Uh, do you want to go and see what it's like down there so I said yes please that's two clubs interested rather than one
0: yeah that was my
1: thinking I went to Wimbledon for initially for a what's supposed to be a month uh, and I didn't return to Oxford <laughs> I, sta- I stayed at Wimbledon. I stayed at Wimbledon for four years which is how I got <laughs> bought by Arsenal and, and George Graham in the end uh, and the quirkiest thing was uh, from that was is that my transfer actually from Wimbledon, uh, sorry, from um, Oxford to Wimbledon was actually nothing. And actually, uh, Dave Bassett sent uh, June Smith a bottle of Scotch whisky <laughs> as, <a, laughs> as, really? as a thank you. So that's how it happened. So actually, I was released
0: yeah. as,
1: a, as a as a kid as well. And then sort of became, made myself proactive into making sure I could try and get a club. And then a little bit of a break because Wimbledon were then looking for a left back, uh, and then I, I, you know, it's it from really from signing for Wimbledon and getting into the first team was where it all started to, if you like, explode for me and and started to really um, progress, um, and, you know, through into to Arsenal, which for me was the pinnacle, such a yeah. traditional club with great history. Um, but uh, yeah, that's when it, it all started. To, if you like, started of to come alive and started to sparkle.
0: Yeah, oh, I just think it's incredible, and also, um, you know, certainly for the youngsters that I I know, there's this assumption that oh, you know, I'll get seen and then I'll go to this club and then I'll be just playing with Ronaldo. And the the reality mm-hmm. of it is, is that it's hard graft and it actually takes a lot of self. Um, self-motivation and self-belief, yeah. doesn't it? And it's widely known that some of our greatest learnings come from adversity. And you've spoken about how you had, um, you know, some really good um, times at Wimbledon. When you joined Arsenal, um, you went from playing left-back where you felt really comfortable. And then from what I hear, you you had six months pretty much sitting on the bench. How well, did yeah. you, you know, because you had, was it Samson that was playing yeah. in, in that position? Um, well, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say that Kenny was actually the England left back as well. I mean, he ended, I can't remember exactly, but 80 odd caps for England. So I, I chucked myself, if you like, into the fire a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but Arsenal, I, I was always gonna sign for Arsenal when they approached me because there's you know it was it was just a massive step for me. You know, Absolutely. Come up through, through the lower, uh, you know, with Wimbledon, we were third division, and then we got into the uh, the championship, which was the which was the top division then, which was a, which is now like equal to the Premier League. So in those yeah. four years, we went from third division, if you like, into Premier League. So it would be equivalent to now being second division, going into Premier League. You know, we made those steps with we pretty much the same team. It was an amazing uh, achievement by that team. Yeah, um, And then, but the step to Wimbledon was just another different level again. And to be honest with you, uh, when I went, I had no doubts, this is the right decision to, to do. But I've got to say that first six months was the hardest I'd had because I was used to playing at Wimbledon. I'd done four years at Wimbledon and I loved, I fed off the crowd. Was that, Wimbledon only got 6,000 supporters, but walking out on a match day, the buzz, the adrenaline that it gives you. And all of a sudden I've gone to Arsenal, which is a bigger club, but I'm then I'm dropping back, if you like, into the reserves. And there's like maybe barely 100 people watching you. And it was yeah. so hard to focus. Uh, yeah. And I found it very, very difficult for six months. And then I managed, I, uh, I managed to get in the first team, which was uh, George Graham playing me at right back. Uh, and anybody knows that I use my right foot for standing on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even so, I know that Nigel. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that was a bit of a culture shock, but yeah. that was my first tentative steps. If you like getting into the arsenal first in what used to happen is uh, for that half a season, I played right back most of the time, but about once every four weeks, he'd leave Kenny out for a rest, George Graham. And then I would go and play at left back. So, um, But I had an idea while I was at the club, the way that George worked and the the senior players that he was moving on very, very quickly, that if all went to plan, then I would quickly become the left-back for Arsenal because I knew he was... The way he wanted to play, he was trying to get rid of the senior players who he thought might be a bit stubborn and objective to what he wanted to do. So I knew I had a good chance. But that first six months... Was hard work, it was horrible.
0: And how did you adapt to that? Because as a player, you want to be playing, and then all of a sudden, you're getting splinters on your bum. Um, and you might know that the long term vision is that you will kind of slot into place, but how did you week on week keep that most? I think you just got a commitment.
1: So, what I uh, just believe you look back to what I always look back to what happened to me at Birmingham. Uh, and thought nothing can take me that far back. So if, if I am disappointed that I'm not in the Arsenal first team, I am still at Arsenal, I've got a huge amount ahead of me to try and achieve uh, and nothing is ever going to be like that feeling I had inside me when you get told you are not good enough. Mm. So I had that big burning desire to prove a lot of people wrong, so I just I just use that as the focus. You're not in the team at the moment, but you are gonna get there. And every yeah. time you have a doubt, just think back to where you were before that, before you went to Wimbledon, uh, and then that just gave me that kick again, if you like, to to go again uh, and wait for that opportunity, which you know eventually, like you say, did come six. Uh, six months in and the opportunity came and then it all just it rolled just for me if you like perfect roll of the dice till till I left so yeah it was but that was my motivation I always look back to the disappointment and think right nothing can be like that so where you are you're in a good place although it's not where you eventually want to be but keep keep pushing keep striving uh, and it's up to you to make sure that You push yourself into that team and make sure that you secure, for me, what I classed as a number one position and the number one player for the left back position.
0: Which you then became. So it just goes to show taking the past learnings and actually throwing them into a positive um, can be really good fuel to keep you going rather than just um, kind of getting your head down. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, In your testimonial video, which I found fascinating, you talk about having pride and desire not to let a goal in. Now, we've got um, a brilliant coach uh, coaching our um, under-12s, and we've had him for the last three years. And he works on the same basis. um, And it really, really brings the children together um, as a team. So it brings the forwards together with the midfields and the defence. And as much as trying to get the goals in, their mindset is we definitely don't want to let one in. Um, yeah. And so, how important was it for you as a player to have strong relationships with not only your coach but your teammates? And how did you cope with your um, with your teammates when you were put under a lot of pressure? Because it's all great when things are going well, but when um, when you're under under pressure and, and you might be one nil down, how did how did you well, learn to, to deal with that?
1: Well, I think first of all we. Uh, you know that uh, back four that I played in that George Graham put together. We were brought up on uh, out and out defending, uh, and we did so much training out on the pitch. Sometimes actually without a ball on the pitch, and people look at you gone out when you talk about it. We would just move into positions, and the idea was that when one person moved, the other three person uh, sorry the other three people moved the same distance in the same direction so that right. you take the same distance between you all the time. So we worked on that. And then what George used to do is he used to bring the youth team over to go against us, against the first team back four, because right. what he, what he, what he thought would happen was, is the youth team would run around. They'd want to try and embarrass the first team players because they wanted to show them how good they were. So we used to, so You've got a role reversal here. You've got young players who want to expose the first team players to show the manager how good they are, yeah. and then you've got the first team going. I'm not having any of these young kids <laughs> embarrassing me, and that that became our ment- that became our mentality for not letting in a goal. Then yeah. you know, so I was left back. Uh, Steve Ball was a left sided centre half. I got to know and play with him for such a long time. I knew exactly what he was going to do in given situations, whether he was under pressure or, or he wasn't under pressure. But I was always taught to the simplest of header, the simplest of tackles, always make sure that you're in a covering position because your first thought is you have to think that he's going to miss it. Although, you know, in your own mind, he's not actually gonna. He's <laughs> not going to miss it. But <laughs> no. if he does, you're there. And then yeah. you put the two centre-halves together and then you put the right back in it. And then you combine that to the back four. And that's how you get your, if you like, solidarity as a, a, a back four unit. And the trust then we had between each other, you know, for us, not conceding a goal was like a striker scoring a goal. Absolutely. And I remember games where we were three and four nil ahead. And we would be saying to each other, even with a couple of minutes to go, don't let a goal in, don't let a goal in, you know, this is what we're all, this is what we're all, this is what we're all about. Uh, and that's, that's how we kept driving each other on to become better and better, not only as a unit, but we're individually. And then individually, we knew the levels that each player could be at. And if they dropped that level, the other three would say, come on, we know you, you know, we know, it was almost like a a G, we know you're better than this. Yeah. Come on, strive, you know, strive, strive for it, push yourself for it. And that's how we kept that continuity of, uh, of that back four. We just kept, we just kept pushing each other. Uh, so you're quite a team within really. a
0: team, really. Hey.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, um, again, I can see it with our kids. They play so much together um, that you do sort of, know that that person is going to be in the space and that you can flick the ball on and and it's it's actually like a dance isn't it when you're out there and it goes
1: well yes yes it's it's just I don't know it becomes natural I think I call it rather than manufactured yes you go through certain bits of team play and structure within your team but as as I say when it when it flows you, you don't think about what you're doing you just you just see it and you you know whether it's a pass whether it's a tackle whether it's a movement into space uh it it just all combines together uh and it becomes not perfection because i don't think you ever get perfection but it's pretty good to watch when it all comes together
0: well, that's why they call it the beautiful game isn't it yeah.
1: <laughs> sure is
0: <laughs> and um during your time with Arsenal you had managers that had very different approaches to the game obviously Graham um had a, a very Strong uh, coaching style. I can imagine um, the difference between him and him when Wenger came on board um, could have been quite well. It was impactful for for the for the squad. Hey, yeah. um, how did you adapt to that and then the subsequent culture of the club when Graham left? Obviously, we had the season before Wenger came in, but how did you adapt personally? Yeah, to I that? mean,
1: I think, I think I think just very very quickly, George Graham was very strict, very. Uh, Discipline area, and he, he knew exactly how he wanted his team to play. So if it yeah. was like you were playing, not regimented because that's not right, but you knew your job, you had to do your job, uh, and he didn't like you to let's say stray out of those lines too much. When so Arsene he set came, the, he set the
0: boundary pretty much for you. Yeah, so he, he set yeah, he, he, yeah. So
1: he set the structure of play. So like, so if I went forward down the left, Lee being the right-back, would come in and almost that would make almost like a third centre-half. So both of us would never advance like modern-day football. Very rarely. Occasionally it did happen. Then when Lee went, I knew I had to tuck back in. That was just the basis of how he played with the the back four and and going forward. But, you know, the, the rest, so not only the back four, but the midfield and the forwards, it was so structured in everything we did with attacking and the defensive side of it. So we all knew the attacking side. And we all knew the defensive side. Whereas when Arsene Wenger came in, I mean, first of all, I mean, I just trained with this uh, new manager and the difference was just incredible. It was just a completely different outlook. You know, um, when, he, when we did the first pre-season with him, you know, I've never ever seen a football on the first day of preseason training. It was more a little bit about fitness. And we had a little bit of a jog around for the first morning, did a few <laughs> stretches and that was it, In go and get lunch. And in the afternoon, the balls were out, and we were doing all these technical stuff and it was just like, boy, oh boy, I've got to be part of this. This just looks like something different. How can football be so different? But it is. And um, I just knew then that I had to try and again, try and do everything that I could to make sure that I was going to get that contract Uh, to stay obviously there were lots of things on top Uh, the drinking culture uh, changed within within the club Um, the dietary um, you know food and the way that you looked after yourself after games was quite intriguing to me Uh, changed very very radically but I think the big big change for me and I've said it all along is you can do all that stuff uh, and it helps you to perform but he, he basically just told us to go out and enjoy ourselves, and that was it. He worked on combinations of attacking play, and he basically just said to the defence, "You know what you've got to do. So organize yourself." But it was just like, "Well, oh, boy, oh boy, this is just like this is like playing Sunday league football here. We just go out and have a laugh and see what happens." And, and that was basically. It sounds a little bit crude, but it, that was what we. That's what we did. We just went yeah. out and had a great time. His structure was around the, the attacking side of the game because he knew that that back four knew everything uh, about defending because, you know, we have been doing it for so long. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a completely different world, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, yeah,
0: chalk and cheese. And I've heard Gareth Southgate talk on um, a few podcasts about the importance of having fun. Um, because essentially that's why people come into the sport anyway. And that fine balance between allowing the the players to develop and utilise their strengths and talents um and enjoy it because when you when you're having fun you relax and your body does amazing things whereas when you're tense and you're tight mm. and you're serious you lose that flow so um, so great to hear that somebody like Bengo had the trust in his team that he could loosen the reins and you mm. I mean clearly with all the trophies you then went on to to win um it's it's a kind of a, a very very uh, clever thing for a manager to do
1: yeah, I mean, obviously, I did the double with him in 98. I mean, I left in 2000, but I would say from 98 to 06, I mean, they got to Champions League final, but they lost that. But the trophies that they won in between was a testament to the quality of player that he he brought in or the younger players that he brought in, coached them to become better. Uh, but just that just that freedom, he's just his management style was, you know, he didn't like any confrontations, he was, you know, he seemed so laid back. It it was, you know, it was as if everybody was important to him. Um, it, it was just a it was just a completely different way. Uh, and you know, it was something that I just absolutely loved.
0: And um, you just touched on that. Um, I think it's a beautiful skill to have as a manager in that he he made everybody feel important. Um, how did that develop you? It was being one of the more senior players, how did that kind of feel for you knowing that he he had that trust in you and that he cared about you as a human rather than you as the defender just, that was going
1: to yeah yeah i i just thought it was just a completely different way it just gave me so much more confidence i think to go out and express myself a, a little bit more but yeah and i always used to uh, remember one of his comments was have no fear of failure because it it, is almost saying like, you know, if you're scared to fail, you're holding yourself back a little bit because you're playing within your limits. You're not pushing yourself to your limit and and beyond. And I always remember him saying that, I was thinking, you know what, no one's ever said that to me before, Uh, you know, and I'm late into my career really for for Mm. a footballer when when he came in. So I think it just gave me that freedom to just go out and, and express and, not worry too much. Not get too. Yes, I mean Sandy will tell you that I was the world's worst when I first started playing. If I lost a game of football, Saturday and Sunday was anything was cancelled, I wouldn't go out.
0: But you, you learn sound just to... like my
1: husband. <laughs> yeah. But what you do is, as you play games and you get older, that disappointment never ever changes. But you learn how to control that. I've still got to have a life outside of it, particularly if you've got a family. And I can't punish the people that are not responsible for my failings. Um, So you learn to, inside, I'm still hurting, but I've I've got to move on. And what you learn to do is, although it still hurts, you learn to drop those defeats very, very quickly. Because if you're taking that into the next game, thinking about, the defeat or how poorly you played, the chances are that it's going to happen again.
0: Absolutely. So you've got
1: almost, you don't forget about it, but you try to wipe it away a little bit. Uh, and then you go with more determination to try and make sure that it doesn't happen again.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was working at Saracens, when Eddie Jones came into um, to the squad, you talking about Wenger and um, the sort of changes he made to the philosophy and the culture it was very mm. similar to um, how um, Eddie Jones's approach was mm. he had his bar high and the players rose to meet his expectations and you know as somebody as an outsider who didn't know too much about rugby but um, it was very interesting to see the dynamic mm. of the change and obviously yeah. he went on to, to do great things with the club Um so I want to talk a little bit about your trophies. You've got so many winning trophies. Which one means the most to you and why?
1: Uh, Well, it'll, uh, it'll have to be 89 Anfield, which is the first league title under George Graham. Because the year before I'd missed the penalty in the League Cup final against Luton, which we were winning 2-1 with about 18 minutes to go. So that would have put us 3-1 up, pretty much guaranteed to win. I missed that penalty. Uh, and then we went on to lose the game 3-2. So that was pretty pretty uh, devastating for me, being the, being the one person that missed, missed the penalty. Uh, so the next year, obviously, we were in a great position to win the league. I don't know whether you remember, but 89 was the Hillsborough disaster as well. Yeah. We were top of the league for a long time. Uh, but we'd started towards the end of the league, uh, end of the league campaign. We wobbled a little bit because we'd never been in that position before. Liverpool came like a steam train.
0: They yep, started to win a do.
1: lot. Of, yeah, they started to win a lot of games. But our game against Liverpool got cancelled because I think there was a two-week suspension of the league. Right. Yeah. So it turned out in the end. That uh, so Liverpool we finished our games. Liverpool finished all theirs, apart from we had to play each other, uh, and it came down to that last game where Liverpool we were Liverpool were ahead of us by three points, and we needed to to beat them by two clear goals at Anfield, which never ever happens. Unheard not of, to that, not to that <laughs> team. Yeah, unheard of, uh, and actually. Uh, so if we beat them by two goals, uh, uh, we would have won the, the uh, title. We would win the title on... Uh, actually, we won the title on goals scored, not goal difference in the end. So if you think about that, so we finished level on points, level on goal difference, and we won the league on total goals scored. Uh, but with Mickey Thomas's goal in the 91st minute uh, of that game... To enable us to win two 0 and take the title from Anfield uh, was incredible. So um, yeah, I think we we thought we should have won the league before. We wobbled. It looked everybody had written us off. Nobody wins at Anfield. This team's got no chance. Uh, it's just not good enough. Uh, and then so when Mickey Thomas's goal went in in that ninety first minute, you can imagine the celebrations after. So that was that was my first league title. For Arsenal. And Uh, that's very special
0: because that's the, that's the, the, I can't remember how old it would have been, but. That is the, my first memory of football in my household. My dad was such a charismatic man and um, he used to whoop and scream at the TV as if he was in, in the stadium himself. And, and I remember that game. It's one of my loveliest memories of football. So that's awesome that that's the... Uh,
1: yeah, that's the one because I always think the first one, obviously I had the loser's medal for the League Cup final, but to win the league... Uh, That's the first one, and I think what you find is when you win the first, you win your first medal, your first winner's medal. You want more of it, or I did.
0: Get get a taste.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I was in a team that I got that feeling that they wanted more because the feeling you get inside of you, not only for yourself but your teammates, but also for those supporters as well, because you are one really. Absolutely, um, it was just incredible, and uh, I think that 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 also that result gave us great belief that we were a good enough team to 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 do other things along the way.
0: Yeah, to do more. And um, you played for England a handful of times. I've got to ask, what did it feel like getting that phone call?
1: Uh, for me, it was yeah. I mean, representing your your country is always very very special. Uh, the one slight hesitation I have in that is I only played twice. I made two subs, two substitution appearances. But I think in my time against the two best teams in the world at that time, which was one was Italy yeah. and the other one was Germany. Uh, and I, the only regret I have is I just wish I could have started a game to show the managers that were in charge at, at, at that period of time that yes, you're good enough. I know you're not. So my England career, career if you like, was a little bit checkered. Uh, yeah. A lot of people said, Oh, you should have got more caps, but Stuart Pearce was the left back who you couldn't really argue with was, you know, was a sensational player at Nottingham Forest. Um, but so I just, you know, i got limited opportunities, but, in saying that my caps are still downstairs They're yeah. on the shelf <laughs> i do look at them occasionally and they do bring yeah. a big smile to my face you can't take you can't take that away but it's it's you know i suppose in a way to represent your your country is you know once you've been for your club you've won things for your club you then want to make that step to international football and it was very brief for me but something i'll never forget
0: Brief, but you also made it as well. So yes, you know, yeah. it's not, not something that many people can have two caps sitting downstairs. So, um, and you got um, Gary Lineker. He's my all-time favourite hero, despite him playing for Tottenham. But um, he was in the Italy game, I think. So it made me made me smile knowing that you'd been on maybe even the bench next to him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he was probably on the pitch, and I was probably yeah, on the bench. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: <laughs> yeah. Good old Gary. <laughs> Um, obviously, the game is very different now um, as to when you were playing. What do you think one of the biggest challenges are for youngsters coming into the game now?
1: Um, well, uh, I think I'm not sure uh, how your system works, but over here, you know, I talked. I said to think. I said to you earlier that they, you know kids can get picked up at five, six, seven.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know how they when they're doing that. How they have a normal life. They need such a stable family environment uh, around them. I think the sad thing to think about, uh, and you know, the, the young kids won't want to think about it uh, anyway, is that those percentages that go on to make it professionally, particularly at the, at the big clubs, is less than one percent. It's re- I can't remember the percentages. Yeah. But it is a fraction. Um, so unfortunately, you're thinking it's great because I'd want to do it at five, yeah, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I'd be wanting to be associated with a professional club. It gives you the opportunity. But I think you've got to try, you've got to have your parents to keep you level-headed, grounded, trying to give you the right advice and you hope that the club are giving you that advice, not getting too carried away. I'm at, I'm at Arsenal, I'm at Tottenham, I'm at Liverpool. All oh, this is great. And you know, this is going to be look where I'm going to go sort of thing. Um and You've just got to, I think you've just got to take those mini steps. Yeah. Each, I have to know, say, each, living each in year it's, yeah, each year, because, you know, you've just got to keep driving to make those steps to the next year, to the next year, until you see where eventually it it takes you.
0: Yeah, it's those mini goals, isn't it? And then making them Mm. into micro goals. So I have to say living in New Zealand, we are so lucky to have the freedom. And I've got a 12 year old who's very passionate about the sport and it being a secondary sport over here with rugby being the number one. Um, what I love about it is there's so much freedom, you know, these yeah. kids are playing a sport and um, I mean, we, we've got the most amazing ground here in Tauranga. but they're playing a sport that they love with the friends that they go to school with. Um, they develop brilliant, brilliant skills. Um, mm. But every now and then Jack will say, oh, Mum, I wish we lived in England because I want it, you know, I want to be playing for um, yeah. a club. And, um, you know, for my husband and I, we just feel very fortunate. And I know in hindsight, he will feel the same too. But every now and then we get this push to, come on, let's go back home. Yeah, yeah, but the pressure is on, you know, and going back to that, um, keeping it fun and that's where the flow comes and that's where um, the inspiration can come. Sometimes, um, you know, if if there's a fear of that being drilled out of you, essentially, hey, or getting burnouts when you're, you know, yeah, By the time I think you
1: its it has got to be. If you're not enjoying it, then you're in the wrong place. Yeah, it's got—it's yeah. got to be fun. It's got to be—you uh, know—it's got to be. That's the first thing. It has to be fun and enjoyable. Yeah. Those are the two things to me. I'm fifty-seven now, and I'm going every Thursday night to play with a group of mates. You Amazing. Know? And we—we yeah. we range. Our ages range from twenty to seventy-one. Amazing. And I still—I still, I still <laughs> love playing yeah so you know so the my my passion is football and I will say to you I'm very lucky I was very privileged to play professional football and play for the for the clubs that I played for but yeah I still have a passion now to play even with my mates I hate it if I have to miss a Thursday night (laughs) good
0: job I couldn't do last night (laughs) I was just about to say now I know why you said no 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 Thursday doesn't suit me (laughs) it's all coming together now um now, you of all people would know how hard it is. You've got three children, um, you were playing football, um, you've gone on to become um, a presenter um, for football, so you're still in that environment. But how hard do you, or how do you manage the juggle of work and family and all of that jazz? Because you've got a, such a strong relationship um, with Sandy. What's your what's your secret?
1: Um, trying to understand each other, particularly when I was playing. Obviously, uh, I had... We've got three children, so two of them were very, very young. You know, James and Joe were very, very young at the same time. Um, But trying to not make her feel as if she was outside of it, you know, yeah, obviously I'm the the professional sportsman, but I don't know whether you did know or did know not. Sandy was, uh, you know, GB triathlete in her own right. She was number two in Great Britain uh, at some stage. So, not only did we have two kids at the time, because we hadn't got Abby, but also we, uh, I was uh, with at Arsenal at the time and then Sandy was sort of making huge strides through uh, into triathlons as well. So I think, what we, I think what we did is like to start with, so when uh, the, the kids were born is one thing we used to do is when I used to get back from a game on a Saturday, I would look after the kids at night. So I would do like the night feeds. So I would do like Saturday night after the game because I couldn't sleep Sunday, Monday, maybe Tuesday. And then Sandy would do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, well, I would then get my rest. So and we used to share, we used to just share the duties of looking after the little one. And then we used to try and spend as, uh, as much time uh, together as, as, as as we could, then obviously, if parents were down and they had the kids, uh, and Sandy was training. Uh, she was a lot fitter than I was. So when she used to go running or swimming or biking, well, not the biking, but if she used to go running, um, I would go out on a bike and cycle alongside her. I used to Brilliant. see it times people used to look at the say, But he's a professional athlete, and I just used to say, Well, I might be the professional professional in terms of football, but Sandy's much fitter than I am, so I'll cycle along on a bike. I used to go running, so we just tried to sort of bond it together and share uh, what we thought was uh, was it was important. And I think we still do that. You know, our kids are a lot older now, so we don't have to wake up in the night and feed them. Uh, so <laughs> we still we still spend a, a lot of time together. We do a lot of stuff together, whether it's anything from walking just Sandy's just started playing going golf you know different things it's you know we just we just try and share that time with each other and we're not embarrassed where i think a lot of blokes is like oh no i can't do that you know it's like i'm you know Sandy wants to go shopping yeah i'll come shopping with you for 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 an hour an hour and a half I, i'm not bothered it's let's just go together on we're we're happy to spend time together so um I think you have to get away. I try to get away from what I call the male culture.
0: Yeah. Life's absolutely. changing very,
1: very quickly. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And I've never, you know, I've never seen myself as, you know, oh, I can't do that because it doesn't look males don't do that or, you know, or I've got to go down to the pub every night. That's just not me anyway. So, uh, you know, we we, we, we we respect each other and we spend a huge amount of time together.
0: I have to say that's some one of the things i remember when i used to see you quite regularly and um, back in the uk you seem to be very good friends um and i know i've taken that mm. into my marriage but it's the friendship and the communication which is so important isn't it to have a long-standing relationship yeah,
1: yeah. oh for sure yeah i mean we just we, we just you know i don't think we hardly ever fall out um and as i just said to you earlier didn't i that as ever there's any sort of discussion i always used to say to sandy Go on off, you go, go for a run for yes. half an hour, <laughs> come back, then we, we'll we'll discuss it. And that's what you know, that's what we, we we used to do. It's it it just it worked for us. That I think that was the important thing.
0: Yeah. And um you've hit the nail on the head as well as um with regard to sort of moving your body when you might be feeling under stress. Um, I spoke to Henry Fraser um, last week about um, having a a sort of a a mental fitness regime. And what came up for him was um, the boring, but very, um, uh, I say boring, but you know, people like to think there's some magic pill, but consistency and routine of doing the same things every day in terms of um, exercise, getting the right sleep and nutrition, are, is the recipe for success? Um, and how do you keep yourself mentally and physically fit? And would you agree that uh, routine and consistency are important for living a good life?
1: I think so. Yeah, I mean, uh, greatly important. I think you know, even down to um, I think as you start to get, you know, start to get older. Sandy and I are getting older, fifty-seven and fifty-five, but we've still got that routine. Is I would say we're up relatively early. We're usually up by half seven at the latest, usually seven o'clock. Uh, we take the dogs out walking for anywhere between an hour and an hour and a half, uh, you know, in the morning. Um, in the first lockdown, or even before that, is I did some um, charity games with Arsenal. And I knew I was the oldest player by quite a long way. So I did an intense... Between those games, I did an intense six-week fitness uh, program on my own to get fit, so that I wouldn't let myself down. What rather than any, let alone my um, teammates. But I think you just get into you just get into a routine. I think people will have their own routines, whatever it may be. It may be, you know, I know my mum does um, crosswords. She does Sudoku because she wants to. You know, she's eighty-eight. Yeah. She goes. She goes walking still, but she wants to keep the brain active. So whatever you think works for you, I don't think there is one thing. But you know, it can be simple, like making sure you get up and maybe just going out for a walk. That might be, that might yeah. be, you know, that might be the, the trigger that keeps you in, a, in in a positive mental state. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite simple. It's it, just the little know, things. It's just the small things. And of course, yeah. obviously the Thursday night football.
0: Exactly. Uh, and I have,
1: just, I have just started training again. I've got to admit in the last last week, I just started again. So uh, I've had quite a while off, but now I feel it's time to go back and just to, and it won't be a huge amount of training. Just be might even only be 20 minutes a day, but it's enough to feel as if you've actually done something.
0: Yeah, and what does your training um, schedule look like in terms of? Um, do you do hit training? Do you do runs? Do you do intervals? What's your, uh, what's your no? Favorite? I can't.
1: I can't run too well at the moment, so I've got a problem with my ankle. So usually a lot of it, I might so uh, I might just go on the treadmill, put it on high incline, and do uh, what I class as power walking. Yeah. I usually go on the bike, static bike, uh, and I do like short. I might do two minute intervals on the bike. But so many revs uh, per minute, revolutions per minute, and then a certain amount of rest. Then I'll drop it down maybe to a minute, so much rest. And then I might even do 30-second sprints. Uh, and I just decide, sometimes as I'm going along, how much I'm going to do. That might only be for 10 minutes, but I still feel it, it, it's enough because I've already been out walking and done uh, done some other stuff. So it's, not, it's, it's, it's probably higher intensity but for shorter periods of time.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And um, sports gives us so many transferable life skills. What has football given you that's contributed to your success in life
1: after football? Wow, good question, isn't it? Uh, maybe a bit of belief. Uh, I would say that I am not a confident person outside of football, but when I was playing, I believed I was the best particularly in my position. You have to think like that. Yeah. So I think what what um, that initially is to do is, is to give me a push. To, so now, at, uh, well, at not at this moment because we're in lockdown, but I got asked by Arsenal to do some of their tours of their stadiums for them, what they class as the Legends tours. Amazing. I can not think of anything worse than standing in front of 50 or 60 people talking about your club and some of the history about it and because it just just scares the life out of me but Interesting. I think from thinking about trying to think about how successful you were at football 100,000 people if you can deal with 100,000 people looking at you and sort of <laughs> criticizing you quite a lot <laughs> then I could deal with 60 people so I tried to turn it into uh into a positive uh, in that yeah. way. so I tried to maybe use some of my experiences in football to make me more confident outside, because I'm certainly not a confident person outside of football. That was my, if you like, football was my playground where I was happy. Being in society, I am certainly very, very uncomfortable, um, particularly around a lot of people. It's, It's something that I just don't like. So that might surprise you, but it is actually true.
0: Yeah, well, it's it's similar in um, when you um, speak to actresses or actors, it's the same thing, mm. isn't it? Almost you become a different person. You you claim the identity of left back Arsenal defender, mm. um, but when you're out of that environment, you're Nigel, just um, hu- you know, yeah, husband, and and so yeah. it's a very different, um, it's a very yeah. different situation. Hey, so and, yeah, and
1: people that. <laughs> This is what football on the, if you like, on the flip side, the worst side of football, I think, is for me, is that people that don't even know you personally judge you. Yes. Just because of something that happened within a game. And you say, well, yeah, I've already admitted I did several things wrong within my career when I played. I wish I wasn't involved in some of those incidents, but I was. I can't take that away. I've already admitted that I was wrong in... And people say, "Yeah, but I didn't. I don't like you because of that." And it's just like, "But you don't know me."
0: Yeah, that must be very uh, difficult you, because, yeah. It, yeah, they're taking a snapshot of your life, um, and you're absolutely right. They have yeah. absolutely no idea who you are. And because pitch.
1: of who you played for,
0: yeah, exactly. Disliking
1: you because you, you know, I've been in Sandy in the high street on many, many occasions. Have had people come up to me wanting to pick a fight with me. And it's just because, like, oh. I'm just not interested in this. I've got my family with me, mate. Just grow up. Leave me alone. Oh, yeah. It's just like, you know, if you want to have a chat about football and the team you like, I'm quite happy. If you don't support Arsenal, which you clearly don't, that's <laughs> okay with me. Talk about the team you like, but don't be disrespectful when, particularly when I've got my family around me. just. But that's the flip side. That's a, That's the negative side of it.
0: Yeah, and I have to say there is that darker side to football and I, I was going to end, um, my last question was there's something about football that brings out the best and the worst in people and I know when mm. I lived in the UK I was very fortunate to go to um, a few matches and I actually came up to London when you won the double and the atmosphere from the minute you get on the on the train, you know I lived in Berkhamsted, so the minute you get on the train each stop you stopped at, more and more um, supporters mm. would come on board. And on the on the positive side, there's something inside of you that just is. I mean, I didn't get it when I when I worked in the rugby, and I haven't seen it in other sports. There is just something about football that brings up this primal kind of tribalism, almost, um, and that can be brilliant, and and it brings out the passion. But obviously, mm. you've talked about the the flip side of that. But what do you think it is? about football that's different to other sports that brings out this passion which can Uh, go
1: one way uh, or the uh, other to be honest with you I'm not I'm not really sure apart from that football is our national game it does seem to bring everybody together even in these you know European championships people that I know that are not interested in football that's just gone they're talking about the game and how are we going yeah. to get on and and you know it does seem to bring people together. And I think it brings people together because it makes you smile, it gives you something to focus on. It's as if you are part of the journey. Yes. You know, you, you know, we have nothing, we have no control over what England we're gonna do in the you know in the Europeans, but we all thought we were part of it, yeah, and that's what it does. it, it I think it brings us all together. Um, and then obviously the flip side of that is sometimes is then you get a lot of supporters who are only a very very small minority yeah when they then come together feel as if there are no laws in place to what they think they can do and that's the flip side I don't really want to talk about that too much but but the positives for me are it unites a country you know not only just football supporters but people that are not even interested in football are suddenly taking an interest uh and are discussing how we're going to get on and they've probably never discussed about a game of football in their lives which i think is absolutely great
0: yeah and i have to say gareth southgate is doing something very special for uh the england squad right Mm. now and to to Compose himself the way he has under the scrutiny of so many millions of people, and to get um, to get our team to the finals was just um, well, it was incredible. Even in New Zealand, uh, we people could hear the screaming from our house um, but with all of the kids that were here and, and getting on board of that. And um, talking of children, um, every time I do a podcast, I ask uh, each of my children. Uh, you know Jack, you've already met him. Yeah, and he talks about you often. His your pictures on his wall. Um, so I asked the kids to throw a question out. Now, um, Jack already knows you and he loves football. So it was, it was um, you know quite easy for him to come up with a question. Um, but Sienna, I was quite, quite impressed with her quality of question because you never know what you're going to get with a 12 no, and a 9 child. No. So I'm just going to throw these two questions out before um, I throw some quick fire rounds out and then we uh, say our goodbyes because I know you're a very busy man. Um, so Jack would like to know did you get nervous before matches and if you did how did you manage your nerves
1: Uh, yes I did but not nervous that you can't control yourself I always felt that I knew I was going to have my best games if I had what I call that little bit of nervousness in the pit of your stomach you might understand what I'm about if I got that I knew it was a big game, but I knew pretty confident I was going to play well. If I didn't have that, I was always a little bit, uh, I was a, always a little bit worried. So uh, yes, I got nervous, but not to the point where it puts fear into the way you're going to play. That's Just, the yeah. important thing. So I think it's okay to be nervous, but you've got to be able to control that to produce your best performance and if you can't control it then you've got to look at ways that you can control it
0: so learn how to um, turn that, that nerve into um, performance it's fine yes. line isn't there Yes.
1: Yeah. yes all right yeah. i'll let a him very know. fine line a very <laughs> fine line
0: <laughs> um, now sienna um, you've probably answered this question in our opening um, in our opening chat but sienna would like to know when did you know that you wanted to play football for your job
1: um well i don't i don't, th- I don't no. think I, I, I don't think i really did believe that i was going to become a professional footballer as i said to you watch the telly I watch the games i love playing i still have a passion uh for playing i suppose for me really the i mean the first part of it was obviously i got picked up by Birmingham, but you never you know I mean, i'm an apprentice i'm never quite sure i think when things really started to kick off for me as, as i said was when i got to wimbledon I was in the first team, and then we were just flying up through the leagues. Um, so, round about that so seventeen, st- would
0: you have be been about seventeen? Oh, well, I was
1: at Wimbledon. I would have been uh, nine. So, I went mm. to Arsenal. I was about twenty-three. So, I'd be about nineteen.
0: Nineteen. All
1: right. I'll 19. let her know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I ever knew. I saw it I, because I was a kid in from a, a small village that was playing with for my local men's team. I never, ever thought about how do you become a professional footballer because it was so different to what it is now. I just yeah, didn't just think the opportunity reason. would ever be there for me.
0: I just think that's so lovely. So, uh, such a great way to evolve. Brilliant. All right, well, thank you very much. I'll let them know. So um, we're going to go on to some quick fire rounds. So it's either or. And um, literally just first thing that comes up to you. Now, we've got a mutual friend, Henry Fraser. And... Um, uh, it's probably changed now because I know his diet routine's changed, but um, he used to love his Friday morning bagels. So just be warned that there might be just something coming up. And his answer yeah. was quite interesting. We had a bit of banter. So here we go, Nigel um, Thierry Henry or Ian Wright?
1: Oh, Thierry Henry, you killed uh, me left- already.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> left back or right back?
1: Oh, left back.
0: Um, chocolate or ice cream? Both. one or the other one or the other chocolate (laughs) saunas or ice ice baths oh sauna yes good man uh massage or just running it off
1: oh massage
0: yes well done you answered correctly um cats or dogs dogs beer or wine wine highbury or the Emirates. highbury Uh, vegetarian or carnivore
1: Vegetarian
0: Oh, um, Northern monkey or southern shandy drinker Shandy <laughs> Henry Fraser's Friday morning Babel or Arsenal winning the league
1: uh, Arsenal winning the league
0: oh, Brilliant, you and
1: Henry are on the same page
0: Oh, no, actually, no, he chose the bagels.
1: I oh, know, bagels, uh, no. I could choose a bagel over with Well, maybe he said, that's because he, he wasn't playing, where it, so I was. So
0: Yeah, well, he said it was because it would happen
1: more often. Uh, well, that's a good recovery. I like yeah, it. Yeah, as yeah. As soon as yeah. I said
0: I was seeing you, he, he, yeah, he started Yeah, crumble, it's a good recovery.
1: I'll never speak to him again. <laughs> strike him off your phone. Yeah, strike you off.
0: Oh, Nigel, it's been so wonderful to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man, and um, I really, really am um, excited to see um, you when I finally get back on the plane, get back to England, come and have a cup of tea.
1: Yeah, you never know. We might get over to see you one day. Um, We keep talking about we need to start travelling now. We're getting to senior citizen age. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But Sandy just doesn't like long distance. She gets lots of migraines, but... uh, I think it's a journey that we're gonna to have to do within the next uh, few years, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, being a migraine sufferer myself, I can completely empathize, yeah. but there will be a um, warm bed and a fantastic um, experience waiting for you if you do make
1: it over. Thank so. you very much, yeah. well, yeah. I may hold you to that, you might regret it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Please, oh well, can you imagine Jack <laughs> and you in the garden? That'd be amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, Long's long as I win.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know, he's quite competitive
1: oh dear me oh, okay i must get fit then for that one yeah i was
0: gonna say you better get on your bike
1: yeah
0: all right nigel thank you so Perfect. much and no um problems. yeah look forward to catching up soon
1: cheers thanks very much Cheers.
0: what a fantastic guy. Thank you, Nigel, for being on the show. It was really insightful and just a reminder that all the things we learn on the sports field, we can apply into our daily lives. If you enjoyed this show, it would mean the world to me if you would like and share it. It's how I get uh, the reach and how I get everyday people inspired to do extraordinary things. In recent years, civilians have been able to taste one of the selection tests that the UK Special Forces recruits undertake. They can take on the original 24k SAS selection challenge in the form of the fan dance race. This infamous march is the world's oldest special forces test. More than 6,500 civilians have attempted what is arguably the toughest loaded adventure race in the world. Today I talk to my big brother, Mark Pilgrim, a retired business leader who at the age of 53 first attempted the fan dance and three years later is an eight time champion of the AEE Fan Dance Race Series. We talk about goal setting, training, mental toughness and the secrets to avoid injury. This show is a great listen, not only because he's my big brother, but because Mark is an example of how leading a life of purpose and direction leads to happiness. I really hope you enjoy today's show. Well, that was just brilliant having my big brother on the show. He's always been an inspiration to me and I just love his desire to succeed, um, but he does it in such a humble way. Hopefully you got some golden nuggets out of that session today. For me, just hearing him talk about being emotionally connected to goals it's something that i work with a lot with clients and how to embody the goal and live it in your everyday life to break down the big goal into those little mini sub goals so we prevent the overwhelm and creating a framework that's realistic and fun working to a process instead of a routine And just having that long-term vision, playing the long game, and just having that self-compassion, knowing that we can't do everything all at once, but we can do everything over a course of time. So hopefully you found that as inspiring as I have. I know I'm going to go and get my running shoes on now, and I'll look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks when my next guest comes on board.